All right. Hey, welcome to church today. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. I want to thank everybody for coming today. I want to thank everybody that's watching us online right now. Thank you so much for tuning in and staying connected to Passionate Life Church. You guys doing good today? Awesome. Good. Man, we have an amazing treat today uh, for everyone. Uh, some of you know her. Some of you have never heard her before. She's an amazing author and speaker and just a great friend to this house. She's someone who embodies passionate life church. And for some of you don't know what I mean, but you're going about to know what I mean. She's going to bring the fire today. Come on, let's give the best passionate life church welcome to Nicole Winsick. Hey, church family. I love this house. I love this house. I love being here. It's a privilege. It's an honor to partner with our dear friends, your pastors, your team. I don't know if you guys know how good you have it. We get to see the behind the scenes, and, and Mike and I, my husband, we love you guys. We support you guys. We get to see and hear their prayers, their dedication, their passion for this place, and we believe that God has anointed them and you to be here for such a time as this. So thank you guys. I honor you. It's a privilege to be here. So funny, not funny, I may have had a little accident about four weeks ago involving a, like a sled and a metal pole and my back. I was holding a little child to protect them, but um, I, uh, does that give me any points? And then um, I, I fractured a little bone in my back and tore some nuzzle, muscles. I'm doing really good, but it's hard for me not to be like super intense. So I'm going to try. I got my tinnies on. I'm going to try, but, but God gave a message to me, and I believe for you, that is hard not to be passionate about, because I believe it, it is life-changing, if, if you allow it. So today, today we're talking about rethinking obedience. Obedience is a word that I'm sure you hear often. Uh, if you're a parent, you probably use this often, like I tell my kids, obey me, right? So you've probably heard um, obedience a lot, but today I want us to take a deeper look within ourselves. I want us to evaluate why we do or do not put God first in every area of our life. Why we do or do not fully and completely obey him when he calls us to do something, especially when he calls us to do something that may seem a little inconvenient, may seem a little risky, hey, this is a big one, we may not understand or see the value or the significance of what he's asking us to do. So we're going to learn some lessons from people in Scripture and throughout history that because they chose to simply and completely obey, can I tell you, countless lives were changed. So many people were redirected towards the kingdom because of their obedience. And in the moment, each one of these stories, take note of this, not one of them, not one of them saw what God saw, okay? They didn't have a clue the domino effect that their obedience would have. And how many lives, literally some of them, millions of lives were changed, okay? So today, I believe, if your heart is open and my heart is open, I believe that God wants to do a work in us, 
If our hearts, right now, I'm going to ask you, if your heart is open to receive the word that God has, he wants to plant seed in good soil on our hearts, which is up to us to have that good soil ready to receive, that will grow and produce life-changing action for our families and for our city. I believe that you'll be able to relate to the people in this story, because these are real-life people, all right? And I think that more than anything, we can be inspired today and challenged today to rethink obedience personally in our lives. So are you guys ready, church, to receive? Are you ready to have open hearts? If you are, please put your hands out as a sign of surrender to the Lord as I am. Lord God, we are here for you. I am here for you. Father, I pray that no distraction would have its way in this place. Lord, I pray that every heart would receive, not for someone else, but what do you want to say to me? What do you want to say that will impact our lives? Because we do truly believe, I believe, that we have one short life. I believe that you have called us to make a mark for eternity and that people all around are lost and they need the hope of salvation. So God, do a work in us. Remind us, bring us back by the truth of your word and the power of the Holy Spirit today. Speak to us. We are listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. All right, the first person that we're going to learn from today is found in 1 Kings chapter 17. And I kind of want to set the scene for us a little bit because uh, she was a single mom. And so shout out to all the single moms, single dads out there. Woo, you've got a tough calling. Church family, can I challenge you? If you know somebody who's a single mom or a single dad, will you come around them? Ask them what they need. Support them. Be the church to them. But this single mom, I, I truly don't think any of us have ever been as desperate as she was. See, when I, when I say desperate, I don't mean desperate like our modern day desperate. Way back when, before there was like electricity and refrigerators and pantries, like we're like, oh, we have nothing to eat, but really it's full of stuff we just don't want to eat, right? Like it's not like that. There's no, none of that stuff, right? And not only was she a single mom, she was a widow. So at some point her husband had died. And, and, and back in those days, women didn't have the same means to take care of their family. So she has a son. They're in the middle of a drought. And so like, I mean, so many things against her right now, right? Like there's no rain and that affects the crops, which affects food. So literally, if you can try to like get our, your mind around where we find this woman, she is at the point where the Bible says she truly believes that they are at their last meal. Like she may have to watch her son, she thinks, starve. Like I can't even imagine that. As a parent, we want to take care of our kids' needs and wants and desires, but, but this woman probably already feeling like a failure and desperate and so many other things. That's where we find her today, okay? She's going outside, and I'm paraphrasing verse 12. She's going outside. She's gathering sticks because they don't have a stove to make her what she says is her last meal, okay? And so she goes in, um, uh, in the distance, a prophet of God, Elijah, calls out to her and, and he says, excuse me, ma'am, um, can you get me a drink of water? Well, it's a drought, people. So like already that's a tough request, right? And so she turns to go get him water. And then he says, and excuse me, ma'am, can you get me something to eat? A little, little piece of bread. Woo! Remember, she thinks she's about to watch her son starve, and this prophet of God is asking her for something? 
I mean, I think, I don't know about you guys, but I think this might be like my breaking point, okay? This is what she says to him in verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any. I don't have any bread. I only have a handful of flour in a jar, a little uh, oil in a jug, and I'm gathering some sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. She's not being dramatic. She is just saying, this is how desperate we are. Do you know what you're asking of me? And this is what Elijah says in verse 13. Elijah says, don't be afraid. Go and go home and do what you have said. But first, I'm going to ask you, like if you have a pen, if you have like highlight on your YouVersion app, if you, whatever, take a picture of this. Circle like a bunch of times, but first, because I want this to be impressed upon our hearts that we don't ever forget it and remember the situation she is in. He says, but first, before you go take care of your son, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. I don't, I don't know what you would be like, but I might be like, are you crazy? Are you, are you out of your mind? Like for real, as a parent, it's like, no, 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 I'm sorry. I know you're a prophet of God and you need to eat, but this is my son, my responsibility. I don't even know where our next meal's coming from. And you want me to take that, what's supposed to be for him, and give it to you? I'm sorry, but maybe by some miracle, if there's something left over, you can have at it. Do you think like that would be some sort of response we would have? Right, church? Like, let's just be honest. Because right now what we're seeing is a picture of obedience, God leading someone to do something when it costs them, when it doesn't make sense. How often, think about your life, I'm going to think about my life, how often do we give God our leftovers because we are not willing to trust him with our first? Can we be honest in here? When God draws us and leads us to do something that doesn't make sense, that's going to cost us, how many times do we think it's our responsibility to take care of all this other stuff, huh? Look at verse 14. Elijah said, this is what the Lord your God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. He says, you put God first and he is going to provide for you. We need to rethink our obedience here. We think that we have to have in order to give when God asks. She said, I don't have any. We think we have to have in order to give. Guys, it's not our job. It's not our responsibility to provide for what God is calling us to. That's his. All the time we come and we say, God, if I have enough time, if I have enough money, if I have enough energy, if, 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 that's not what God is asking from us. And, and I wrestled with this, and, and, and it's okay. It is okay to wrestle with Scripture. I do it a lot. God has a lot of patience with me. I'm like, I don't understand this. Help me understand this, Lord. And, and I wrestled with this passage because I was like, God, this woman has gone through enough. She's a widow. She's desperate. Why would you ask her to give that little bit that she has? That kind of seems unfair, doesn't it? Like, if we're honest, it seems a little unfair. Did God really need her little oil and flour to feed his prophet? Did he really need that? No, he didn't. You know how we know that? Uh, a few verses before in the same chapter, he supernaturally and miraculously 
the God of creation that can like literally do anything told the ravens to feed his prophet. They literally just flew down and I don't know, like flopped over and you can eat, right? Like for real, he, he fed him supernaturally. He did not, it's not that he wanted something from her. And I've heard this over and over again, but this, this picture in scripture shows me God wanted some, to do something for her. All right, so it, it had nothing. Was it really about that little cake? Or, or was it that he wanted to see if she would be willing to trust him over her circumstance, over her desperation, over what she thought she had? Church, for us, when God leads, when God draws, will we obey him? Or will we let what we see and our circumstances determine what we do? Like, for real, let's think about it in our lives. You see, this is such a beautiful picture. I am inspired by her. Her surrender was her salvation. Her surrender was her physical salvation. Look at verse 15. It said, she went and she did. She put God first. She did as Elijah had told her. And so guess what? She thought she was going to have her last meal eat it for her son and die. But oh no, because of her obedience, there was food every day. Not only for her, not only for her son, but also for Elijah. God kept his promise there. Man, her miracle, guys, that miracle you might be praying for. What if it comes through your obedience? What if the miracle you're praying for comes through your obedience like her? Let's not wait. Let's stop waiting until we have everything figured out. I didn't share this with the first service, but I just feel in my heart compelled to, for, for maybe a younger generation. This started for me personally when I was 17. Literally. Crazy long story. I'm not going to get into it all, but I, I was on my own at 17, working three jobs, trying to go to high school, and I had like $90 to my name from working the night before. I had to pay a bill the next day, and it was $100, and I felt God asking me, Nicole, you on your own, not your parents' faith, not anyone else. I felt him impressed I was supposed to give everything I had. No one, there was no one to take care of what I had to do. In tears, as a 17-year-old girl, I gave him every penny that I had. And I'll tell you what, I didn't make it to the back of the church door before two strangers shook my hand and, and said, God bless you, God, wanted to, God told me to you know, bless you with this. I opened my hand at the back of the church, true story, two $50 bills. That's where the foundation of my faith and saying, God, you get, I'm going to trust you with my first. I'm going to trust you with my best. And even though I don't have, when I put you first, it's your job to provide. And he has done that with my husband and I every day since. But the more we have, the more tempted we are, right? And God retaught that to our family a couple years ago. Will you put him first? What area in your life? You may be desperate. Man, I'm sorry. I'm praying for you. I've been there. What area of your life is God saying, trust me first? Because I want to do so much more with the little that you have than you can ever imagine. Somebody in here, God is leading and drawing you to put him first in your life, like this widow. The next couple people that we're going to learn from are found in Acts chapter 9. If you have your Bible, go to Acts chapter 9. And this kind of next character that we have, he is a stark opposite of a single mom, okay? 
He, he's like, super, for real, if you're a Christian, you do not want to meet this guy in a dark alley. You don't want to meet him in Walmart. You don't want to meet him anywhere, okay? Because he is basically a legal assassin of Christians. You may know who I'm talking about. You may not. That's okay. His name is Saul at this point. So Acts chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciple. And he went to the high priest and asked for letters. Basically, this is permission for it to be legal. To the synagogues in Damascus. So if he found anyone who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So we find Saul opposing everything. He hated Christians, zealous against them, wanted to get rid of all of them, right? And he's just on a mission to destroy people in their faith. So that's kind of what's going on over here. Actually, no, wait, something happens on his way to do that. Uh, you guys go read this story. It's really powerful. Um, so what happens is Saul is dra- uh, traveling, and he has a supernatural encounter with Jesus. Like, supernatural encounter with Jesus. And church, you know, any one of us, no matter who we were, that has a supernatural encounter with Jesus is never the same again. Amen? And so he's having dramatic life change happening over here, but nobody knows it but him and God. So then if, like, this was a movie, we'd be like, cut the, cut the scene, go over here. And at the same time, meanwhile, over in Damascus, we pick up this new character, and his name is Ananias, all right? And Ananias knows of this guy's reputation. All the people know, like, you don't go near him. He's dangerous. He's heard about him. And so God calls out to Ananias in a vision. Verse 10, the Lord called to Ananias in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to this house on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarshish named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. Uh Uh-oh, that's you. Come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. So remember, Ananias has no clue what's happening over here. He just knows, like, this guy legally can hurt him and his friends and his family, and he's a dangerous man against the faith. And so he's probably thinking, as we would, uh... God, are you sure you know what you're doing? Like, I know you have the entire universe to run, but I think you haven't thought this thing through, right? Like, how's that going to work out for me? You want me to go and help this man? You, the, the one who's against our faith, you want me to go minister to him? Like, are you crazy? I feel like, I mean, I feel like he may, would have felt like that. I mean, look at that. Look in verse 13. He doesn't say it exactly like that. But he says, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard the reports about this man, all the harm he's done to your saints. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. I want us to get real and think about what we would do in this situation. Or think about the times in our life where God has called us to do something that doesn't make sense. You know, Ananias only knows what he knows. He only knows and sees what he sees, what he's heard. He has a limited view, doesn't he? This applies to us so much. We have a limited view. We will never, this side of eternity, see what God sees. His ways, the Bible says, are higher than ours. 
He sees everything, how it's working out. We have a limited view. We only see what we can see and know what we know. We have no idea what God is doing behind the scenes to prepare the way for our obedience. Do you hear me? When God is leading you and drawing me to do something that doesn't seem to make sense, can we remember that our God sees higher and that he, could he possibly be working it out and preparing the way for us to obey? That's what's happening right here. And it's easy for us as Christians. I hear this all the time and I'm guilty of it. It's easy for us, even as parents, to tell everybody else what they should be doing, right? But when was the last time? We're going to ask hard questions today. When was the last time you or I did something risky, dangerous, inconvenient for God? Maybe not dangerous physically. Praise God, we have so much freedom. But when was the last time we did something dangerous to our schedules? Dangerous to our comfort? our preferences, our agendas, our pocketbooks. When was the last time we did something risky for someone else for, to build their faith? I think sometimes the reason we wrestle is because we don't know, like, what value is this going to bring? Like, what, was it, what is this really going to matter? God impresses you to do something, and don't we often say, well, is that really you, God? Like, I, what, what is this really going to matter? Set this in your hearts. Every act of obedience matters. Every act of obedience matters. And this has got to be the foundation or we're going to constantly wrestle. It's not our job to work it out. Church, it's not your job and my job to work it out, to figure it out. It's our responsibility to obey. That's it. There's so much freedom. I have found I'm way imperfect in this. But there is so much freedom when we live surrendered in this way. All right, God, I don't, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't actually want to do it. You can be honest with God. Look at David in the Psalms. You can be honest with God. But because you're leading me and because I want to follow you and live surrendered to you, I have to trust that it matters for the kingdom. I have to trust that you know what you're doing. There's freedom. And I don't want any one of us to miss out on impacting others' lives, to miss out on the spiritual journey that others have. God wants us to be a part of that. But we got to be listening and obeying. A lot of times, we're too busy arguing, ignoring, tuning out the Holy Spirit, or playing it safe, like if we're honest. So back to Ananias. This is what the Lord says in response to his questions. He says, go. <laughs> I love that. He says, go. And then he says, this man, he's talking about Saul, this man is my chosen instrument. Church, can you say chosen? This is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles, before the people and their kings and of Israel. So listen, I, I, I feel so much in my spirit that almost more than anything today, we're going to take a hard pause right here because I feel like this, this next little bit is possibly the reason why I'm here today. I believe that some people are being held back because of their past, held back because of their sin. Is there anyone in here today feeling unworthy, feeling unqualified, feeling like those secret sins, the past decisions, you're too dirty, too messed up, 
You can never be used by these people or do all these things because of what you've done. Anybody out there feeling like that? Well, I have good news for you today. If God, if God can put a picture of redemption of Saul's story, who ended up being changed and transformed to, to Paul, if God by his grace can not only use, but choose, do you hear me? Choose, knowing his sin, knowing his past. By the grace of God, we have so much hope, do we not? There's so much hope for you and for me. God doesn't just see us in our sin, in our shame, in our brokenness, in our past. I have good news for you today. He has greater things for you. He has purposes. He has plans that are greater than your past, greater than your shame. You are not too broken. You are not too messed up. He asks, like Saul, that you would turn from your sins. You would repent, and you will never be the same. You can have a supernatural encounter with the grace of Jesus, and he has purposes for you. Don't settle for less than what he has for you, church. You are chosen. You are chosen. Not just me, not just the pastors. You are chosen to carry the name of Jesus. This is a crucial point in history. And like I was telling you about a lot of times people don't see the domino effect of their choices have. This is one of those. And we can learn from both Paul and Ananias. From Paul, we can learn action step for us to let go of our past. Let go of our past and choose to walk in the purpose God has for us. Somebody today, that's your next step. Let go of it. If you receive Jesus as your Savior, it's finished at the cross. Let go of it. And for some of us, it's like Ananias, being willing to risk, even though we don't understand, being willing to risk in obedience in order that others would find healing. You see, right now, a lot of us may not know who Ananias is. To be honest, I really was like, I don't really know who that guy is when I started studying most of us have heard about Paul. I would say a lot of people have heard who Paul is. He was one of the greatest apostles of all time. I love uh, his writings through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. They have shaped my life. They have shaped our modern-day church. Paul has impacted millions. But guess what? God was asking Ananias at this point, before ready, Paul was ready to impact millions, God was asking Ananias to do something that was seemingly insignificant. It was risky, but he was like, I want you to go and minister and reach this one. Church, we don't know which of act of obedience is going to reach one and which will reach one million. They all matter. Do you see this? So often we hold back or we don't follow through on something because we're like, what difference will it make anyways? Maybe you're trying. You want to live for God. You're, you're doing your best, but it's a little discouraging. Can, can, can we be real? Is it discouraging when you're, you're trying to live for the Lord, but you're just not seeing the results? Anybody been there? I have been there. God, what's, what's the point of this? I'm doing this. I'm trying, and I don't see the results. Let me tell you, the enemy, the enemy wants us to give up or, sometimes even worse, not contribute when we don't see results. He wants us to give up or not contribute when we don't see results. But we got to believe that God is working even when we don't see it. 
And that leads us to our last person. And, and this is to a person more in our lifetime within the last hundred years. And this story I heard about 10 years ago, and it has, it has rocked me. It has probably been one of the most uh, inspirational true stories that will continue to convict me until I meet Jesus. And I want to share that story with you. His name is Mr. Frank, and he was a sailor from Sydney, Australia. And he had had a radical life change too. When he came to Christ, he was from a rough past, rough life, and he was so drastically different after meeting the supernatural grace and power of Jesus that he felt compelled to make his life count. And he said, okay, by the grace of God and to the best of my ability, I'm going to try to commit to witnessing to 10 people a day uh, for my life. Like, that's what he felt called to do. All right, so that's Mr. Frank. And then we have over here, we have a traveling preacher, teacher, evangelist, and he goes all over the world meeting different people, hearing their stories. And so his first encounter about hearing about Mr. Frank was, you know, just this guy who came up afterwards and was like, hey, I want to share my testimony with you. And he did, and he said uh, he was visiting family in Sydney, Australia, and they were, uh, he got off at the business district on George Street, and this man very directly and abruptly approached him and, and said, excuse me, uh, sir, and he gave him like a pamphlet, if you were to die tonight, do you know for sure where you would spend eternity? Would it be in heaven or would it be in hell? And the guy was like, it literally shocked him because he'd never been asked that question so directly. So he couldn't shake it during his family visit. He ended up calling one of his friends who was a Christian and he led him to the Lord and that's how he came to know Jesus. And the pastor was like, oh, that's great. Thanks for sharing. Didn't think too much of it until like 10 days later in a different part of the world, a woman came up for prayer and counseling after and the pastor was talking to her and had asked her, have you come to faith in Jesus? And she said, yeah, I'd love to share my story. It's kind of unique. Uh, I was shopping with some girlfriends and we got off at George Street in Sydney, Australia and a obnoxious little old man jumped out and handed me some religious pamphlet junk and uh, said, ma'am, do you know for sure if you were to die tonight where you would spend eternity? Would it be in heaven or hell? And she said the rest of her shopping trip, basically, she was rattled. Uh, she was like uh, freaking out. And so she went back home. She came to the first church she saw. She talked to the pastor and he led her to faith in Jesus. And so this pastor was like, this is kind of crazy. Two people, same stories from different parts of the world, but their faith uh, originated back with this one man. Like, that's pretty cool. So at his next event, somewhere else, he started, he shared these testimonies. And what do you know? But four elderly preachers, four elderly preachers came up and responded. And each one of them said that this little man on George Street had an impact on their faith journey. Like, by now, this guy was like, who is this little man on George Street? This is crazy. Everywhere he went, uh, it was even remote parts of the world. He met a missionary who was now a missionary, but his faith was impacted by that question. And so he, time and time and time again, he shared it everywhere. People would respond. Even really, really influential people. He sat down to lunch with a, a Navy chaplain who before he was like over all of, I don't know the terms, but the Navy chaplains of everywhere. Um, and, you know, whatever. Anyways, before that, he was just a sailor who um, one night got in his words, rip-roaring drunk. He got off on some port and got shocked sober by a, what he thought was a ghost, was this man who, who asked him that same question, sailor, if you were to die tonight, 
Do you know for sure where you would spend eternity? He said it shocked him sober. He ran to the boat, talked to his chaplain, and now years later, God had positioned him to be over all of, of the people in the Navy chaplain, whatever. Isn't that incredible? So this pastor who was a traveling evangelist was like, I have got to meet this little man on George Street. Like, thousands of lives have been impacted by him. I'm going to go meet him. So the next time he was in Sydney speaking, him and an associate, uh, they found out where this man lived, and they knocked on his door. And a little old man opened the door and let him in, and he had shaky hands. He was serving them tea. It was kind of sloshing. And, and the pastor started to tell him story after story of life change. Churches that were impacted, pastors, missionaries, the naval chaplain, story after story of impact. And he looked up, and Mr. Frake had tears streaming down his face. And he said to them, for 40 years, 40 years, I have been, by the grace of God, trying to witness to 10 people a day. And did you know that until today, I have not heard of one person coming to faith in Jesus? 40 years of faithful obedience. How many rejections did he face? How much discouragement did he have to endure? How many times did he want to give up because he didn't see the results? Every single one of these people in Scripture and like Mr. Frank, not one of them could see how God was working. But can you imagine if Mr. Frank would have quit on the first week? Can you imagine if he felt worthless or he didn't see the results, too discouraged to go on? Can you imagine if he would have quit? All the while, heaven is filling up and he has no idea that he's making a difference. We don't see what God sees. His ways are higher. And sometimes we're just going to have to trust that he's working it out. Somebody in here today, I believe, you're discouraged because you're trying and you don't see the results. You're tempted to give up because you don't understand it. I don't know who you relate to most through these stories. I don't know where you find yourself, but I want to ask you, where is God asking you to take action? Where is God moving in your heart? Is it like the widow? Is he challenging you? Even in desperate times, put me first. Watch me provide. Watch me come through. I want to do more for you. Is that your next step? Is it like Paul who was Saul? Do you need a radical encounter with Jesus? Do you need to let go of your past and walk in the purposes God has for you? Do you need to claim that and believe that today? Is it like Ananias? Most of us are probably here if we're, if we're real. Are we, are we so blind by our own schedules, our own preferences, what we're doing, that we're tuning out the Holy Spirit's leading we don't want to. It's too risky. Whatever. Just some of us need to be willing to count the cost in this life and risk a little more so someone else may be saved. Church, where is God speaking to you? To me, it's in this area. It might be for you. It's trusting that in the mundane, in the day-to-day, -day, 
in the continued, consistent obedience. Maybe not in the big stuff like I thought, but that God is working even when I don't see results. Some of us need to be challenged to endure, to continue on, to stay faithful and to trust this. Every act of obedience matters. No act of obedience is insignificant for our God. Do you believe that today, church? I want to take the next few minutes. I believe the Holy Spirit is moving in our hearts, convicting us, reminding us that we don't have to see it. We don't have to understand it. And we may not want to do it, and it may cost us, but his ways are higher. He is greater. He is the provider. He can do all things. These songs that we sing, they're not just songs that we sing. Our God is famous for miracles. And the scriptures are here to remind us, to challenge us, to inspire us, to make this life count. Whatever God is doing, do what you need to do. If you need to bow, if you need to raise your hands, whatever you need to do, I want to pray for you. Lord God Almighty, I humble myself before you. Take whatever you want from me. You are first. And I never want to get so comfortable again that I'm not willing to respond when you ask something of me. I pray right now over all of these hearts, over the burdens, over the desperate needs. I pray your provision, but more than that, I pray that they get to experience the miraculous provision that comes through obedience, God. Do a work in our hearts, Lord. We release control. We let go of our past. I pray for someone today. Freedom in Jesus' name. Release from the bondage of sin. I pray right now someone is compelled to turn, to repent, to surrender. You have called us to more, God. I pray for those in here that are tempted to give up in their marriage, in their family, on their children, on that dream. God, that they would endure and they would trust. You are a good God. You love us. Life is tough, but you're working things out, God. I pray for every heart today, that every heart would leave with action. We don't just want to do church. We want to make a kingdom impact. Use us in Jesus' name. We love you. Everything we have is yours. I pray encouragement over the discouraged. Hope for the hurting, God. I think about Jesus in scripture and you love us. You got down in our mess. You hold our hands, you see us. And I pray that every person here that's hurting, they would know they are seen and they are loved and they are not alone. In Jesus' name, do a work in this place. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Nicole. It was awesome. If you died tonight, where would you spend eternity? It's a simple question, right? And I, and I think some of us, we don't talk about our faith with other people in our lives because we're worried that we don't, we don't have the right words to say or, or uh, we don't know the whole Bible and they might ask us a question that we might not be able to answer correctly or we might not be able to answer at all. And, and listen to me, it's okay. Just at that... Asking that one little question is something that every single person on the planet struggles with and deals with 
is where they will spend eternity. God has planted eternity in our hearts. And so in our DNA, we all struggle with that. And so just asking a coworker or, or a family member or a friend, hey, have you thought about where you would spend eternity? It's such a, a real and deep question that we all deal with. And I, wanna, I want us to deal with right now. You're watching online. I want us to deal with that right now this morning. Go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you'd say today, Pastor, I don't know if I died tonight. I don't, I don't actually know where I would spend eternity. I'm actually not sure. Or maybe you've, you've drifted from the truth. Maybe you just drifted off course and you want to make a rededication of faith to follow Jesus. Maybe if you're honest, you've never really followed Jesus with everything. Maybe it's just been 50% or, or 60% or just when it's convenient. And today you want to, to be obedient to God's voice and you want to commit your life to Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This is your personal declaration of faith today. I'm just going to ask you to slip up a hand. I'm just going to pray with you today. Yes, thank you, Jesus. You can just slip it up and then you can just put it down. Thank you, Jesus. Yep. Thank you, God. Come on, church. Let's, let's pray together. Come on, let's everybody repeat this prayer as we help those making the greatest decision of your life today. Watching online, pray with us today. Dear Jesus, I thank you for what you did on the cross. And I ask this morning that you would forgive me of all my sins, that you would come into my life and be my Lord and King. And from this day forward, I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's give them a hand clap today. Heaven is rejoicing.